unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my It's time for us to go ahead and get started tonight. If you are here tonight and you did not have an opportunity to 
partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. You're welcome to go now to the little chapel and you'll be served at this time. Let us pray. I was trying to get everybody quiet. I'm not going to pray right now. But I, that always works. <laughs> All right, let's say the books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samson, 1 Kings, 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 1 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on the Lord. Thank you. 
We have just a couple of uh, announcements that we want to make tonight. Uh, we again, and I was so glad to hear the news that Jack Jackson Cobb obeyed the gospel uh, uh, this morning. That's wonderful. Uh, I began a meeting at Red Bay today, and I was just amazed at the connections to folks here uh, all over the place. I was told uh, about this connection or that connection, and there's no way I can recall all that. But... Uh, it's amazing how small of a world it is. But it's good to be back tonight, and we want to express our appreciation to you uh, for being here as well. If you're visiting with us, you are especially welcome. We want you to come back and be with us anytime uh, that you possibly can. Before uh, Gunner comes and leads our song uh, for our teachers to go to class, we want to have a prayer. Will you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to you for all that you do for us. Father, we realize that without you, we would be absolutely nothing. Father, there are so many people that we know that are sick right now. Please bless them. Be with, them, be with each one. We pray for those who grieve over the loss of loved ones. Father, we want to especially uh, thank you for the church that meets here at Boonville. We're so thankful for this church family. We're thankful for the continued uh, shining light the church here is in this community. Please bless our elders, our deacons, please bless each member. May we continue to understand what an honor and privilege it is to be in your family. Most of all, Father, we thank you for your son who willingly gave his life on the cross, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hold it. Today I'll be singing blue skies. Today I'll be singing blue skies and rainbows. First verse: Blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven. Oh. 
Hello? Oh, there it is. Pushed it the wrong way. All right, we'll see how that holds up. I think it'll be fine. Appreciate all of y'all for being here tonight in our class and our continued study. I know today's Father's Day, and uh, that's a wonderful day in many respects. I wanted to say just a couple of words that, uh, about Father's Day that I think that go along with our lesson. I know we're talking about wives right now, but I think it's important that we think about just some free things about fathers. You know, Hollywood <clears throat> depicts the father figure as being useless. Uh, we aren't useless idiots as fathers. There's a long history there of fathers being portrayed as useless, bumbling, out-of-touch idiots in the world of entertainment. Uh, you think about some television characters. Some of these I don't really even know about much, but Homer Simpson on The Simpsons, Al Bundy on Married with Children, Archie Bunker and All in the Family, Tim Taylor on Home Improvement, and there's countless others that are depicted in Hollywood as being terribly incompetent. Uh, you join in with various children's shows of the past two generations. Those shows a lot of times go out of their way uh, to depict dads as immature and in need of their wives to serve more as their mothers rather than their spouses. Uh, they are depicted as embarrassments to their children, as lazy and as incompetent employees in many cases. But sadly, uh, many of today's fathers have begun to live with the assumption that, you know, that's just who they're supposed to be after all. Uh, the stereotype of unserious, immature men who are constantly trying to shirk responsibility and have a good time while avoiding uh, the watchful eye of the so-called ball and chain, uh, that idea is emulated by many. But then you add to this the ideology of the feminists and the homosexuals that claim that strong male leadership in the home isn't necessary, and I think you can begin to see why the world continues to spire further and further away from the truth and why morality continues to decline. Statistics show that fatherlessness leads to higher teen pregnancy. It leads to youth crime and suicide, substance abuse, poverty, and runaways along with lesser academic achievement. And so the world can unwisely continue in going in that direction to mock and undermine or even eliminate fathers, but you know, Christians simply cannot afford to follow. Now the Bible confirms the importance of the fatherly role by charging them to bring up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6 and verse 4. It's very interesting in Deuteronomy chapter 6, as Moses addressed the children of Israel before they entered the promised land, uh, he addressed and gave the blueprint of how the nation was going to succeed in their new homes. And this is how it was going to be done. This is the blueprint that Moses gave the children of Israel for them to succeed in their new homes. The responsibility was placed on fathers 
and grandfathers. In Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2, uh, they are to love the Lord, Genesis 6 and verse 5. They are to teach their families to walk in God's ways, verses 6 through 9. They are to teach them to worship God, verse 13, and to obey Him, verses 17 and 18. And so Israel was either going to rise or fall based upon how fathers of the nation's household led their families in this particular way. And so I've said all that, and I want to say briefly two things before we get started in our other material. First of all, I simply want to say thank you to the Christian fathers who are approaching their role with the proper respect for the importance of it. I know many, many fathers, such as many of you, who are, who are realizing and understanding the importance of your role. And we certainly need to give honor to whom honor is due. And Christians of all people should be those who recognize and praise active fathers who are helping to strengthen both the Lord's church today and in the future. Uh, you think about dads that are aligning themselves with the role Moses envisioned in Deuteronomy chapter 6. They are making a difference in their homes, in the church, uh, in their communities, and in the world as a whole. And so, you know, I thank those fathers for casting off the role of immature, weak-willed men that the world tells you that you're supposed to imitate. Uh, thank you instead for taking on your biblical role, and thank you for reflecting the loving, serving character of Jesus Christ to your families. But I also want to take a moment and commend those who may not be biological fathers, but are doing the very best to fulfill that role for somebody anyway. You know, the single mothers that are left having to do double duty, uh, you need to understand that your work does not go unnoticed, and it's appreciated. It takes that much more work to try to fulfill both shoes, doesn't it? Both roles, and those mothers who put the time in and give their all for their children, those moms are invaluable. And the grandfathers and uncles and other male figures that may step into the lives of fatherless children as mentors, thank you for the commitment that you've made to help those uh, that you can. Uh, the difference that you're going to make is simply massive. And then I would like to charge you to keep on leading your families toward heaven. Uh, we need to keep on keeping on, regardless of what's happening in the world round about us. And we need as many good examples as we can get. We need godly fathers who will develop their sons into future godly fathers and daughters into future godly mothers so that the church will continue to grow and progress from generation to generation. And uh, if you maybe aren't doing that, I think now is as good a time to take the pledge of Joshua. Joshua 24, verse 15, what did he say? He said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so there's a great difference the church can make and continue to make if every father will simply dedicate himself, making sure that they're following Jesus and showing their families how to follow Jesus to do the same. And uh, you know, need to know that your work is not going unnoticed. And I want to thank you for helping us see the beauty of God's plan for the home. You know, the role of a father cannot be overstated. 
And we need to understand that. Uh, I don't think a father can really fulfill his role unless he's the spiritual leader of his house. Uh, you know, people say that, you know, church and reading the Bible's for sissies, you know what I mean? But you can't fulfill your role as a father if you're not leading your family uh, spiritually in the way that they should go in regard to how we assemble with the saints, in regard to how we uh, work and are involved in the Lord's work, a father has to take the leading role. All right, I want to move on tonight. We're going to try to finish up uh, this lesson on wives. And, of course, uh, we talked about uh, the last time we were together, the word wife means weaver. Solomon said, Whosoever findeth a, findeth a wife finds a good thing. Now, we talked about last time the importance of being a godly wife. And we talked about how that a woman's Christian life is enhanced by the kind of wife she chooses to be. We also indicated and talked about the fact that a woman's prayer life is greatly affected by the kind of wife she chooses to be. And we know that that's true. And it's very, very important. Now... As, the, as, the, uh, as time expired last time, we were talking about the wife's responsibility to her husband. And we left off by talking about the wife is to love her husband. And we talked about what that actually means. And I introduced the next point before we uh, had to dismiss. Uh, one of the wife's responsibilities is to honor and to respect her husband. Uh, in the marriage relationship, and I think this is true generally of all women, uh, women long for love. That's their main thing. Men long for respect. Uh, that's the main thing for men. Uh, the word translated respect uh, from Ephesians 5.33 means to treat one another with deference. Uh, if you look at Webster's Dictionary, he defines the term as showing regard, showing esteem, showing appreciation. Uh, you know, we talk about the respect that we have for certain individuals, don't we, sometimes? The respect we have for a, a leader or the respect that we may have for some perceived great individual. And uh, Peter affirms that godly wives will live lives accompanied by fear, that is, respectful behavior. 1 Peter 3 and verse 2. Uh, Y'all remember Sarah in the Old Testament? Uh, this certainly doesn't fly today in our world, and uh, it would be highly resented. And if somehow uh, what we say here tonight were to go viral, uh, hopefully that never will happen, but if it were to go viral, we would have protest here from all over. But Sarah exemplified this godly demeanor the Bible says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 6, by obeying Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, Michael, in contrast to Sarah, Michael dishonored her husband David by despising him in her heart. 2 Samuel chapter 16. You know, how can a wife demonstrate respect for her husband? How can she? Y'all talk. How can a wife demonstrate and manifest respect for her husband? 
Any of you women call your husbands Lord? No. Probably not. I wouldn't recommend that, right? And if you do it, you're probably being sarcastic about it, aren't you? <laughs> so, uh, but how do, we, how do we show that we respect husbands? How do you do that, somebody? How do you demonstrate respect? Any thoughts on that from you? Well, I'll give you one, then maybe you can go from there. I think by fulfilling her domestic obligations in the home, according to Titus 2 and verse 45. You know, when she fulfills that role, remember the word wife means weaver. And so when she fulfills that domestic role, uh, she brings honor and respect to her husband. Also, by just being in submission to her husband. And we touched on the point last week, and we emphasized the fact, submission does not in any way mean inferiority, does it? Right? Jesus was not inferior to God, but Jesus submitted to his Father. So we all have different roles. Uh, God has designated roles for men and women, and it's based on the concept of creation and uh, how God's always wanted things to be. And so when she is in submission to her husband, uh, she is manifesting respect. What about uh, when you get married? What do wives generally do with their name? Huh? You take his name. You know, you wear his name. I think that's a sign of respect. I know there's kind of a, a move on today for women just to keep their own names, particularly if they've maybe got some kind of a claim in the world or some kind of fame or whatever. But when you proudly wear the name of your husband, uh, that's showing respect. And then I might say this, by refusing to criticize him either publicly or privately. That's another way that she can manifest respect for her husband. Anybody want to comment on that? Feel free to do so. You can disagree too. That's fine. Everybody has the right to be wrong. But, you, you know, you feel free to speak up. All right. Let's look at another responsibility that wives have. The wife is to submit to and she is to obey her husband. Now, I want you to understand that the word translated submit, which happens to be a subject here in Ephesians 5 and verse 22, it's a military term. It means to yield or to rank under. Syntactically, uh, it conveys a voluntary action by the wife. She voluntarily places herself under the authority and leadership of her husband. Now, when we talk about husbands, we emphasize the fact that this isn't a dictatorship at all, is it? It's in no way a dictatorship, you know. A, a, a husband doesn't rule his house by an iron fist. He cherishes his wife instead more than he cherishes himself. He loves his wife like Christ loves the church. But he is a leader in many, many respects according to the Word of God. And so she volunteer, voluntarily places herself under the leadership of her husband. Now Paul in Ephesians 5 and verse 24 asserts that wives are to be submissive to their husbands 
in everything. You know, I feel bad sometimes if my wife's out mowing the yard, I go out and ask her what's for dinner. I'm just kidding, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, husbands don't run roughshod over their wives in any way. That's not what we're talking about here. You know, he's not a king and uh, she's his servant. Now, there's some husbands that may have that mentality sometimes. You do what I say because of who I am, and you do what I say when I say to do it, and you do it how I say to do it. That's not the kind of relationship we're talking about here. In Ephesians 5 and verse 22, Paul stresses that wives are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. Now, as Christians, we willingly submit to our Father, don't we? Don't we? We know He knows what's best for us. We know that He has our ultimate good in mind for us. And so uh, wives submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. But we need to understand that God places a limit on the wife's submission. What do you think that limit might be? What would be the limit... Okay, when the husband's not a Christian and thus not leading the families he should be. Anybody else? Do what? All right, when he asks her to do something that's wrong, maybe morally wrong or ethically wrong. Okay, he, she should not be required to submit to that. And so, you know, she would not be required to obey her husband if his expectations for her or his desires or demands are in conflict with the will of God. You know, Paul dealt with this, Paul dealt with this very issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, didn't he? You know, if uh, a woman has an unbelieving husband, she does not have to submit to him if it means turning her back on Jesus, right? She's not under bondage in such cases. And we talked about how that that... That's not the word for divorce there. In other words, she's not obligated to follow her husband away from Jesus Christ if he says it's either me or the church, it's me or God, you have no other choice, do you, but to choose God. And uh, you don't have to submit to your wife in that particular situation. And so the wife's submission to her husband is a divine principle. It's a precept dating back to the beginning of time. And that's important to understand, Genesis 3 and verse 16. And the Bible repeatedly affirms this truth. Now, you hear a lot today, and I'm not going to go off into another subject, but the role of women in the church today. There's a lot of changes that are being undertaken, and sadly, uh, some in the church have chosen to go along with culture and now there are even plans for some churches to install women elders. Now, I don't know, you know, they always come out with this wording. Anytime a group of elders say from the front, we're, we're going to, we have restudied this issue, you know, red flag ought to go up, right? You know, we're, we, we've learned some new things that nobody for two centuries has ever learned before. You know, just off the top of my head, you know, if I'm just basically ignorant about the Bible, if an elder is to be the husband of one wife, that kind of excludes them, doesn't it, right? I don't know how you're going to restudy that. But, you know, they, they, they say, well, this is because of culture. This doesn't apply today. Times are different than they were back then. 
And so we've got to ignore that particular culture and make applications today. But I want you to notice why God said that the headship of the husband, the leadership role in the church of the man is paramount. has nothing to do with culture, not a single thing. Paul specifically talks about that. First of all, it goes back to creation. The reason is man was created first before the woman. 1 Timothy 2, 12 and 13. Does that have to do with culture? Back then? No. That goes all the way back to creation. Also, another reason for it's given, it's not just one reason, the woman was taken from man and not man from the woman. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 12. Now, I don't know exactly why all that might be necessary or unnecessary, but that's the reason it's given. It has nothing to do with the culture back in that time versus the culture today. Here's another reason. Man is the image and glory of God. Woman is the image and glory of man. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 7. And then the last one, which very obviously goes back to the beginning, uh, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 14, man was not deceived, but rather the woman. And we understand back in the Garden of Eden, Eve was deceived, right? Then she gave to her husband. He knew it was wrong. He wasn't deceived. He willingly took that forbidden fruit. He knew it was wrong. Instead of asserting the right kind of leadership, he just went along with his wife because it was the easy thing to do. And... Uh, even today, I'm afraid that uh, some families are led astray because the wife dictates what we do religiously, and if it's not according to God's Word, then, you know, the man just goes along with it to keep the peace, you know. Uh, he may know different. He may know better. And uh, that's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. And so those are the four reasons uh, for which Paul reminds wives that they are to be in submission. And so... <clears throat> the wife is to submit to her husband. All right, the fourth point here that I want to mention is that the wife is to be domestically oriented. And uh, God placed upon the wife as the responsibility of being the keeper of the home, Titus 2 and verse 5, homemakers, workers at home. You know, my wife won't even let me touch a paintbrush. She refuses. Now, there's some things I can do, but I can understand from my own experience why uh, I shouldn't be the keeper of the home. You know, nothing would ever match. I can hardly match my own clothes sometimes. But, uh, you know, she is very domestically oriented, I think, just because of their nature, how God made them. And so the Bible says that they are to be workers at home. That's the New American Standard Bible. They're to be, I like this better, they're to be the manager of the home. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 14. Now, what does a manager do? Manages what? If, if, you, if you manage a store, do you own the store? Do you run the store necessarily? Well, you don't make the rules and regulations. You just manage what's there, don't you? So I, I like that term. She's to be the manager of the home. And uh, realizing that God has assigned a specific role for the wife to play in the home, let us never say or hear that the role of homemaker is somehow menial or boring or unfulfilling. 
Rather, wives should take great pride in their work and their exalted position. You know, there was an insurance company, and I'm sure the price has gone up significantly. I think about five years ago, uh, they determined what it would cost if you had to pay one who stays home with the family and, you know, rares the children. If you had to pay for that, it would cost you about $75,000 a year. That's how much work and labor that uh, a keeper at home, a woman, goes through. That says a lot about the value of that particular role. Uh, the worthy woman of Proverbs chapter 31 is a marvelous example of a wife who loved and appreciated the strategic role she played in the home. And yet, you know, the question may be asked, what about wives who work outside the home? Well, let me just say right off the bat, there is no, absolutely no, divine prohibition against a wife working outside the home. In fact, there are Bible examples of wives who did work outside the home. Uh, Proverbs 31, <clears throat> verses 16 through 18, also Acts chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. However, the wife should not sacrifice her divinely assigned role simply for a selfish pursuit of desires or ambitions or to simply increase her family's standard of living. So what I'm saying here is even though wives <clears throat> work outside the home, and that's true today, isn't it? That's true. I've already, sorry, I've, I've preached three times already today, so I'm kind of losing my voice. But, uh, you know, wives, even though they work outside the home and they work just as hard as men and are, can be just as successful as men, they still are designated as the managers of the home. Now, that doesn't mean the husband just can come home and plop himself down in the easy chair and watch the wife do everything. You know, if husbands love their wives like Christ loved the church, what's he going to do? Huh? He's going to help around the house, isn't he? Uh, now, I tell you what, I may not be a good cook. I can make a pretty good sandwich. And I definitely can make a good salad. But, uh, I, I, I can, you know, I, I, that's about it. But I can tell you what I can do. I do it pretty well. I can vacuum. I can even mop. Sometimes I can uh, take the dishes and clean them up and put them away and help. Uh, my son, I, I love seeing what he does with his two. He he uh, loves to spend time with the children, bathing them and getting them ready for bed. You know, it's, it's a, it's a co-effort there, right? Even though she is the manager of the home, both husbands and wives who work outside the home, they're a team, aren't they? And so, but, but the woman, I'm saying, she is to be the manager. She's more domestically inclined than the men. And so I think the Bible emphasizes that the wife is domestically oriented. Now, if it's possible, and I'm going to kind of go off a little bit here on another subject, if it's possible and, and the wife wants to stay home and when she has children, if she wants to stay home, more power to her. I think that's, you can't put a price tag on that. I'm glad that my wife was able to stay home with our children as they grew up. Some cases it's not possible. Uh, other cases it may be both work just because they want to buy a lot of better things, right? Uh, and maybe that's the reason. But there's nothing wrong with a woman working outside the home. All I'm saying is 
if it's possible for the wife to stay at home economically, I know there's sacrifices that have to be made, then certainly that's going to be good for the family and it's going to be good for the children. But that's not how it has to be, and we understand that. But uh, let's just realize the wife is to be domestically oriented. Any comments? Y'all feel free to comment on that. You can disagree with me all day long. Don't go home and start whispering, you know, I disagree with that. Tell me if you want to. Well, yeah, I guess if the man can't work, you know, they're stay-at-home dads now. Have you seen that? You know, stay-at-home dads. Sometimes he stays at home. Yeah, sometimes husbands can't work. I know you can. I have made a couple of peach cobblers in my day. Now, that was miracle, but I did it, you know. Yeah. Now, you give me a grill now. I, I can do a grill. I can do a grill real well. Yeah, she, yeah, you can, huh? So, all right, no comments? I thought I heard a voice. Huh? You're glad to cook? Good. All right, I don't know if you'd want any cooking. I do, but anyhow. All right, number, number uh, next. Here's another body. Yes, it was definitely a benefit, wasn't it? Yes. Now, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at this. Sometimes, uh, well, I know sometimes husbands and wives, when they first get married, they both work outside the home. But what they do is they just live off the husband's income, and they don't get used to having the wife's income. They save that, you know, put it away. And then when she gets to the point where she wants to have children, whether it be two, three, five, six, seven, eight years, then she stays home with the children, right? There's not a whole lot of adjustments that have to take place because what? They're already used to it. You know, some people, I know of many cases where that's happened. But, uh, uh, you know, times have changed, cultures have changed. You know, 30 or 40 years ago, it's just, it wasn't that way. Uh, most women did stay at home, but times have, and economic times and so forth have made it almost necessary in some cases for both to uh, work outside the home. It just depends on, you know, the individual families and the jobs involved. All right, number five then, and we can go on. Uh, the wife, another responsibility she has is to leave her parents. The Bible says, leave father and mother, cleave unto your wife or to your husband. Now, in leaving her parents, the wife is not to forsake them. That's not what we're talking about here. But she is to leave them in the sense that her first allegiance is to her husband. Now, there can be some difficult adjust, adjustments that take place if, you know, uh, a young lady has been very close to her parents through the years. And, uh, you know, all of us have to, to think about our situations and, and, and make those adjustments. Some are more difficult than others. Uh, Maybe that's especially true if you all live in the same town. I've never lived in the same town with my parents, you know. Jody raised three kids. She didn't have any help at all, hardly, you know. Uh, she did a whole lot, sacrificed a whole lot. You know, she couldn't send them over to Grandma's house. Now, whenever uh, we had grandkids in Montgomery, we were there for 20 years, and our grandchildren came along. 
my wife quit what she was doing, and she kept the grandchildren, you know, for our daughter. We enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. That was good, you know. And I was glad that we were able to do that. But uh, when you are close-knit in a family unit, that leaving father and mother can become somewhat difficult. Sometimes it's easy to maybe have more allegiance to uh, what mom and dad say versus what the husband may say. But she is to leave them in that particular sense that her first allegiance is to her husband. I love the example of Rebecca. I mean, this is a great example. Y'all remember the story where Abraham sent his servant uh, back to his people to find a wife for Isaac? And, uh, uh, you know, through the course of what happened, uh, he found a Rebecca, and uh, they said, we don't want to stay for a while. I need to get back with Rebecca. And her, 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 her family asked Rebecca, will you go with this man? Well, what's that going to mean? You're leaving everything behind. You're leaving your family behind. What was her powerful answer in Genesis 24, 58 through 60? She said, I will go with this man. And I think that says a lot about leaving father and mother and giving allegiance to your husband. I will go with this man. All right, number six, the wife must strive to maintain her purity. Uh, Proverbs 12 and verse 4, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Uh, Proverbs 31 and verse 10. Now, if a wife fails to maintain her moral purity, I think one of the divine purposes of marriage has failed. Now, we've already talked about the don't, don't, don't. Don't think I'm just getting on to the women here. We've already talked about husbands in a previous lesson, right? How do they need to remain faithful and pure? But if a wife fails to maintain her moral purity, one of the divine purposes of marriage has failed. And therefore, a wife, just like the husband, needs to remember the vows made on her wedding day. Remember, keep yourself only to him so long as as you both shall live. It's sad when those vows are broken, isn't it? When homes are destroyed and children are separated because, you know, people couldn't keep their marriage vows. And so a wife has a responsibility, no matter what, to try to maintain her purity. And then number seven, the wife must endeavor to be an asset to her husband. Uh, back in the book of Genesis, uh, the wife was created to be a helpmeet or a helper for her husband. Uh, you'll recall the worthy woman of Proverbs chapter 31. The Bible says she did her husband good and not evil all the days of her life. And also because of her efforts, her husband's known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land, verse 23. And so a wife is to strive to support and to inspire and to encourage her husband and never be the cause of hindering him, especially in his service to the Lord, 1 Timothy 3. I want to read what the poet said, and Mrs. Gail Oliver uh, wrote this. Listen to it. It says, Dear Lord, 
I want to be a friend to one who shares my love, my family, my all. I want to hear his laughter and know his fun, be ready for his cry, his song, his call. Our days are swifter than a winging bird, and love is in my hand to keep, to hold. Give me the key, the avenue, the word that leads us both along this way of gold. And if someday he bears a cross and I can take it from him and help him relief, Lord, let me do it gladly. Spirits high without complaints to add to his deep grief. Lord, grant me the wisdom when each day ends. Let my name be found on his list of friends. And I, I think that's what we're talking about there when you think about the wife being an asset to her husband. All right, quickly, number eight. The wife must have some pride and keep herself physically attractive. Uh, of course, we talk about and we hear the passage from the book of uh, 1 Timothy about how a wife is to adorn herself in modest apparel. Uh, the word adorn there in verse 9 is translated from the word in the original, cosmeo. It's from which we get the word cosmetic. Uh, it means to arrange. It means to keep in order. Uh, remember John, over in the book of Revelation, describes the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2. And truly the beauty and the honor that characterizes the Lord's bride, the church, should also characterize the bride of man. And we're not talking about just emphasizing, you know, physical beauty over the inner man. The inner man is what's important, the inner beauty that's there. You know, the worthy woman is described as one who makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and, pur and purple. However, wives should never allow their outward appearance to overshadow and take precedence over their heart and their inner be. You see, we can get caught up in overemphasizing certain things, right? A person can uh, emphasize the outer beauty while neglecting the inward beauty. And it's important that there be a balance between the two. Uh, you know, maybe you become comfortable with one another. You get up out of the bed and look in the mirror. Oh, man, it's bad, isn't it? You know, when you look in the mirror and, uh, you know, I guess it's all right, I guess, to stay that way if you're going to stay inside most of the day sometime. But, uh, you know, there is a sense in which we need to strive to be as appealing uh, with one another as possible. I'm not suggesting that wives in any way uh, spend three hours uh, on their makeup every day just to stay at home. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying we need to kind of work uh, to keep ourselves somewhat physically attractive. And I realize, you know, when you really love somebody... It's not just based upon outward appearances because we all change, don't we? I mean, we all change. Uh, these young models that have, uh, I guess, cosmetic companies have spent billions of dollars advertising their uh, beauty remedies. But, you know, these young ladies that do that 10 years ago, they're out of work now, aren't they? Because they've changed. We all change. We're growing older. And so we're to focus on the inward man. We we love the entire being, regardless of our physical attraction. That's why we say, for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And so, uh, but, you know, husbands as well as wives need to think about their appearance as much as possible. 
I guess I shouldn't say this. My wife gets so, man, I get, I get, I get a good sermon. Whenever I sneak out and go to Walmart in my own clothes because I want to buy something for the lawnmower or something, and I get back, she, you didn't go to Walmart in that, did you? Who saw you, you know? Oh, I mean, that gets her mad fast. Surely you didn't go to Walmart wearing that, you know, that old shirt and them old pants, you know? But I do sometimes. I don't, you know, but anyhow, I just ran an errand and got back. But, you know, she wants me to look halfway decent when I go to Walmart because I might run into one of y'all, right? Uh, but uh, anyhow. All right, let's move on to number nine because I want to finish this. The wife must endeavor to keep her husband's confidence. This is very important here. The worthy woman's husband safely trusted in her. Someone has said nothing makes a marriage rust like distrust. And that's especially true when it comes to the use of our tongues. Uh, it's no wonder that Solomon penned the words, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. And so a wife just doesn't run off and start telling all of her friends about how terrible her husband is, right? And what all he's done and how awful he is. Uh, or maybe something that he's told her that's to be kept in confidence. Uh, the Bible says, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. And so we can't use our tongue to be divisive. Uh, there must be a trust there between husband and wife. Uh, when one tells the other something and it's to be in confidence, it needs to remain there. But then quickly, uh, the last one, the wife is to help her husband get to heaven. That's very obvious. Uh, a wife must never be guilty of encouraging or leading her husband into sin as Eve did and as the wives of Solomon did. Uh, rather, she must strive to be like Hannah, who unquestionably was a great spiritual ally and asset to her husband Elkanah. Accordingly, a wife needs to strive to let her light shine before her husband. Uh, she needs to continue to be that good influence for her husband. And uh, whenever he observes her behavior, he's more inclined to be more spiritual as a result of that. And they remembered that they're heirs together of the grace of God. I got two minutes. And I'm going to finish this. As we close tonight, the wife is to truly be the weaver of the home. She needs to work diligently to make the marriage successful. And so each wife needs to strive to be a wife like Sarah, who will respect her husband. Each wife needs to be a wife like Elizabeth, who will be righteous with her husband. She needs to be a wife like Manoah's, who will maintain a sacred togetherness with her husband. A wife needs to be a wife like Rachel, who will always encourage her husband. Or maybe be a wife like Ruth, who will be a good in-law to her husband's family. Or perhaps we need to be a wife like Priscilla, who was a helper and a soul winner with her husband, Aquila. Or maybe be a wife like Peter's, who will be an asset in qualifying him to ultimately be an elder in the Lord's church. And, you know, you can look throughout the Bible and you can see all kinds of wonderful examples 
of women that fulfill their roles that, that we can emulate and we ought to emulate in our lives. Now, next week, <clears throat> we're going to move to probably what's going to be the most difficult lesson. You know, it's going to be difficult for me. Uh, as I said, you know, when I have prepared these lessons, uh, my feet are throbbing, right? Almost to the point of a couple of toe amputations. You know, this affects me and impacts me as well. We're going to talk about God's assurances for a happy marriage. And we're going to talk about some practical things that we can apply to our lives that will lead to a successful marriage. We're going to talk about and emphasize the spiritual foundation that we must have. We're going to talk about a healthy physical relationship and how that is important as well. So these are some of the things that we're going to talk about and deal with as we get into our lesson, Lord willing, next Sunday. But I want to thank you very much uh, for listening tonight. And uh, we're so glad that you're here. I see some of the kids coming in and our time is up. And so I hope everything goes well for y'all throughout the week. And hopefully we'll see you with smiling faces back on Wednesday. You're dismissed.